Galatians. I want you to open your Bible, if you will, to the book of Galatians. We started last week a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And last week we talked about the soil and, and uh, the importance of the soil. And so we're, today we're going to move further down in that and look at what God has for us today. And so we're in Galatians chapter number 5. And we're going to read in verse number 22, Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, and meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. Let's, let's pray. Father, help us today. Pray that you would speak to our hearts and have your way and will in all that we say and do. I pray that Christ would be high and lifted up and exalted in our midst. I'm thankful, God, for your mercy, thankful for your grace today and for your love. So speak to our hearts and, and do thy work in our midst. In Christ's name I ask these things. Amen. So this is the second message in the series on the fruit of the Spirit. First message, again, we discussed the, um, uh, the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, we discussed the ground in which the fruit of the Spirit would grow. So we, we talked about ourselves being good ground. And, the, and, and God categorizes everyone on earth into one or four categories. First of all, there's wayside ground, as he describes there in the parable of the sower. And that's where the path is trodden by somebody's feet. And I want to remind you that sometimes we become hardened because of the events that happen in our life and the people that cross our paths. If we're not careful, we will allow others to harden us to our reception of the, of the gospel, of the word, of growth, of the, of the Bible. And uh, it is because we allow other people to have such a negative impact on our life. Then there's ground that was stony, and that ground is ground that has no real depth. And so when troubles come, when troubles come, uh, the, 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 the fruit withers away, and there's nothing lasting there that can really grow for any amount of time. And I want to remind you about this fact, and that is that how we handle troubles and difficulties and heartaches and heartbreaks in our life depends upon the depth of our walk with God before the sun rises, before the trouble comes. Listen, that's why it's very important in your life to be a bread and butter Christian. Read your Bible, pray every day, and grow, grow, grow. It's just do the basics, because while you do the basics, there will come a time in your life when things won't be quite so basic. There'll be hardened times and painful times. But what you do before that time comes will determine whether or not what God's doing in your life withers away under the pressure of the problems. Then there's thorny ground. That's where, that's where weeds grow. The thorny ground is, is away from the cultivated ground, the away from the ground that's been prepared. And the cares of this world arise and choke the life out of whatever it is that God is trying to do with us, it kills the seed, it kills the word, and we can become so wrapped up in the things of this life that the things of this world, the cares that we have, 
they choke out what God's trying to do in us. And then finally, that there was good ground. And, and that's ground that is ready and receptive to the Word of God. And so we close by reading two verses, if you remember, where God compares His children to fallow ground. We talked about the fact that fallow ground is ground that has been prepared. It's ground that has been plowed. Plowing brings pain. Plowing is hard work. Plowing isn't easy. And it places the responsibility on us to prepare our hearts to receive the seed. God's not going to force His Word on people. You have to be willing and desirous of God to do a work in your heart and in your life. And so that fallow ground is our responsibility to allow the Word to plow in us and to, to produce in us. Now, there's something else that's very essential to our understanding of the text that we've read this morning. We, it's vitally important that we don't miss this. So I want you to look back with me in Galatians chapter 5, and I want you to look with me in verse 22, okay? Everybody there? This is the beginning of the text from which we're drawing uh, our series from. Now notice these words, but the, what's the next word? Okay, now, tell me the characteristics that follow that. Look at them, tell me how many there are. How many? Nine. If you answered nine, it's correct. If you answered seven, eight, or below, you need some remedial help in math, okay? You're lacking in addition, all right? There are nine. So I want you to think with me for a moment. Because nothing that God says is by accident. Everything's by purpose. We don't want to read, we don't want to read more into it than God intends, but we don't want to miss what God's trying to say. So he says the fruit of the Spirit. And then he names nine characteristics of that Spirit. And we have to ask ourselves the question, well, wait a minute. If he says singular fruit and then gives nine characteristics, what, what is he trying to teach us there uh, in, 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 in the wording of this? this? This is it. Listen carefully. The Holy Spirit does not want to produce in you love and peace and just slack off on all the rest. He's not giving you fruits plural. He's giving you fruit, singular. And the fruit that he wants to produce in your life has nine characteristics of it. It's sort of like, it's sort of like breaking open a pomegranate. You look in there and say, wow, it's loaded. You know, it's like cutting an orange in half. I, I eat an orange every day. I love oranges. Cut an orange in half and they're the little divisions of it. Okay. And, and so... I was eating an orange the other day, and, and uh, Maddie Sue came up and said, I want, I want an orange. And so she just took one of the segments of the orange and ran off with it. And, uh, and her Mimi said, did Papa allow you to do that? She said, I just took it, and he didn't say anything. So, you know, so the Holy Spirit of God's got stuff for us in segments. So the fruit of the Spirit 
has segments to it. One of those segments is, is um, uh, love and, and, and peace, and we would like to call it a wrap after that. This is okay. <laughs> I've got love and I got peace. I'm doing pretty good now. Thank you, Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit says to us, no, 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 I, I'm, I'm not through. That's not all that I'm trying to do in your life. I want to work within you to make you more long-suffering and gentle. Okay? So, so listen to me. Look at me. The fruit, the fruit of the Spirit isn't a cafeteria where you get to go pick what you don't, what you want, and pass by what you don't. Okay? You don't get to say, I'll have some of that and some of that. Yeah, no, I'll take it. Yeah, I'm not interested in those. I'll just take what I got. No, it's a mess hall. You stick your plate out, and the Spirit of God puts on your plate what He knows that you need. And so He's trying to bring balance to our life. He doesn't want us to just have love, joy, and peace. He wants us to have long-suffering and gentleness and other things. Now, to further illustrate the fact that the fruit that He gives us, that what He wants to produce in us... Uh, brings balance to us because he wants to have all he's not trying to just produce one or two he's trying to produce all of these characteristics in us we have our favorites don't we but he wants to produce in us even things that we don't have a tendency to don't raise your hand but how many of you how many of you are are impatient by nature okay you don't have to raise your hand i don't have to raise mine because it's not true about me as my family will attest so the, the reality of the matter is is listen no, there are things in us that aren't natural to us. You may be more of a loving person. That doesn't mean you have patience, okay? You, you, may, you may have peace, but that doesn't mean that you're long-suffering. So he wants to bring all of that to us. Now, a further, a further indication that he's trying to produce balance in us is the way that these characteristics are arranged into three groups. Look at them. Love, joy, peace. Note that they are all inward characteristics, okay? Now, love expresses itself outwardly, but love is an inward quality. Joy, peace, those are inward qualities. Notice the second three, long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness. Those are all outward, okay? Those deal with other people. You're long-suffering towards someone, and you say, yeah, I'm sitting next to him. Okay, let's don't get into problems here, okay? Long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness, those are all outward characteristics, all right? Notice the third three, faith, meekness, and temperance. Those all have to do with God. Now look at me carefully. When it says that Moses was the meekest man in all the world, that doesn't deal with his relationship with people. That deals with his relationship with God. Meekness is not manward. Meekness is upward. It's not outward, it's upward. Now, will it show itself out? Sure, just like faith does. But the reality of the matter is the last three characteristics, they all deal with our, our relationship and our fellowship with God. Okay. So the first three, love, joy, and peace, they're inward. The second three, long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness, they're all outward. The third three, faith, meekness, and temperance, they're all upward. And so the Holy Spirit of God literally wants to impact your life in every single manner. He wants to completely 
He wants to completely mold you inwardly, outwardly, and upwardly in your relationship with yourself, you know, and we have that. We, it's, it's how I develop as an individual. Um, he wants to develop us in our relationship with our fellow men. And then he wants to develop us in our relationship with God. Now, today, we're starting on the first fruit. And if you notice there, the fruit of the Spirit is what? First of all, it's love. Now, love's an interesting subject. It's 311 times it's dealt with specifically in the Bible. And, and then after that, it's mentioned and referred to in countless other passages. I think probably... You'd agree with me on this. I'm sure that the most well-known verse in all the Bible is John 3:16. For God so what? Loved the world. You can watch football games, and there's some guy in the end zone that's got a John 3:16 sign. And so it's probably the most well-known verse in all of the Bible, and it deals with the subject of love. Even in the secular world, there's an obsession with what they call love. Now, it may not be the biblical definition or the biblical idea of love, but, but even the secular world is obsessed with this idea of love. It's the theme of more movies, more books, more poetry, uh, more songs than any subject since Adam and Eve walked in the garden. And people desire love. They desire to be loved and to love. And yet, the world finds it such an elusive target. It's, uh, it's something that every man wants and... Maybe it's true that very few find great love in their lifetime. And, and the thing that people want the most can be the thing that causes them the most pain. Let me read for you just a statement. I don't like to read long statements, but I want you to just let this soak in. Henry Nowren said this statement. Listen to it. Every time we make the decision to love someone, we open ourselves to great suffering because those we must love cause us, uh, excuse me, those we most love, cause us not only great joy, but also great pain. The greatest pain comes from leaving. When the child leaves home, when the husband or wife leaves for a long period of time, or for good, when the beloved friend departs to another country or dies, the pain of the leaving can tear us apart. Still, if we want to avoid the suffering of leaving, we will never experience the joy of loving. And love is stronger than fear. Life is stronger than death. And hope is stronger than despair. We have to trust that the risk of loving is always worth taking. And so what happens is, when we choose to love, we volunteer, we volunteer to make ourselves vulnerable. By the fact that we, that we profess love, for an individual or for a group of people, we automatically sign our name on a sign-up sheet saying that we're willing to become vulnerable because with love oftentimes <coughs> comes that pain. C.S. Lewis says this, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. It's love brings with it risk and we have to face that. Now, when we go to the Bible and, and we study the Bible on the subject of love, there's some things that become quite obvious to us. There's some areas 
in which we are to love. The first one carries no risk whatsoever on, on his side of the line, but it, it may very well on our side. And that is, first of all, that we are commanded to love God. When Jesus talked with a young ruler about, um, about how that he had kept the law, Jesus sort of summed it up and, and he said to him, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Go there, if you will, if you will to Mark chapter 12. Let's look at that because I want you to see some significant words there. Mark 12. So notice there how we're to love God. This is, the, this is the first commandment. Okay, numero uno. What is the number one priority? The first commandment that God gives us is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. So before I can love anyone or anything, the top priority of my love is to be who? It's to be God. Now, he then... He then proceeds to tell us how we love Him. So we love Him uh, with heart. We love Him with soul. Okay, there's, there's passion, there's emotion and personality. With mind, that's intellect. With strength, that's physically. So every aspect of our life, we are to love God. But I want you to notice four words there that are significant for our study. In verse number 30, notice the word all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, and all thy strength. You ought to circle that word all. Four times it's used. And what God is teaching us there is that we are to love Him completely. Listen to me. There should be nothing held in reserve. Okay? You're to love God with every fiber of, of your heart, every fiber of your soul. Every fiber of your mind, your intellect, every fiber of your strength, your being, your physical you. You're to love God with every inch and every ounce of that heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, loving God puts everything else in perspective. Okay, that's, 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 listen, that's very important. Loving God first and most puts everything else in perspective. If I love God most, that does not dis, dis, uh, detract from my love for Susie. That actually enhances it. Okay? So sometimes we have a, an insistence on our mate. No, you, no, you're supposed to love. No. And so we're fighting them in their relationship with Christ. No, the reality of the matter is the more I love God, the more capability I have in loving my wife and vice versa. It doesn't subtract from our love for each other, it actually adds to it. And so when our love for God is first in our life, actually, you wouldn't think it is this way, but it is. When we love God first in our life, our love for everyone else increases. Because the love of God is, is, is shed abroad in our heart, and He gives me, by my relationship with Him, the ability to love my wife and to love others far more than I ever would have it, it, it finds the proper priority. And so loving Him first helps me love others um, uh, as I should. And it places Him above all other considerations. Uh, and I can't place anything above Him. I have to 
put Him first. Um, can I just say this to you? You ought not miss church for anything else. You ought to miss everything else because of church. The reality of the matter is, if this is God's house and you're in love with God, then, then things like the lake and things like that, they become trite. And I understand, they're, I understand that people are gone and out. I, I know, I'm just talking about staying at home and lazing it out. I, I'm not talking about vacation or times that you take off. I, I'm just simply saying that, that the house of God ought to be a priority for us. And, and we, ought to make it, we ought to make it that thing. The thing, the thing that uh, most gets in my way, listen carefully, this is, this is true. I'm just talking about me. I know this doesn't apply to you. I'm just talking about me. The thing that gets most in my way of loving God is me. You know who hinders my relationship with God more than anybody in all the world? It's Dean. The fact, the fact that I somehow weasel myself in between my love for God, it's a part of my old Adamic nature that puts selfish desires first and foremost. So as Spurgeon said, the guy that you should be most suspectful of is not, is not anyone other than the person that stares back at you in the mirror. That's, that's your greatest problem. And so realize that. If, listen, if you don't love God as you should love God, it's not your mate's fault and it's not your child's fault, it's your fault. And until we own up to the fact that my responsibility is to love God with everything, all I have. All of it. Now, can we do that? Well, we can always live toward doing it. It's a lifetime assignment, my friend. You may give God everything you've got one day, and the next day you may live quite selfishly. So it's when Paul said, I die daily, he's talking about dying to self getting self off the throne, putting Christ where he belongs. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. So, it's a, daily, it's a daily goal of our life that we would love God today with all, just all. How much? All. Every bit of us. That's our goal. Number two, not only are we to love God, but number two, we're to love one another, okay? We're to love one another. Listen to this. Thirteen times in the New Testament, the Bible specifically tells us to love one another. It's over and over. And by the way, those verses are always written to those people who uh, know Christ as their Savior and so the exhortation is to love our brothers and sisters in Christ um, with, a, with a great love. That's, that's, that's what Jesus is teaching us. That's what the Bible tells us. Hey, if you're saved, you belong to be loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, they're not suggestions. Okay, That's not a suggestion. He's not suggesting to us that we love one another. He is commanding us to obey Him, and, and you might think that it's unnecessary. Why would He, why would he, command, um, why would he command people who are saved to love people who are saved? Well, the same reason you have to command your children to get along with each other. 
Okay? It's because of the flesh. And you leave people alone and kids alone, and they might be fighting over something that's elementary and that doesn't, it's not worth the effort. And yet, sure enough, there they are at it. They're battling to the end over who's got the Spider-Man or not. And so they're, they're, there's great battles that, that happen. What happens is we allow our differences to push us apart, and our pride won't allow us to close that gap. We become actually proud of our differences. And we take things that are not major and we turn them into something that's far more significant in our eyes than it is in the eyes of God. So Jesus gets specific, okay? He's going to get specific with us as to how He expects us to love each other. And by the way, it goes way beyond our flimsy ideas. So look with me in John. Go to John chapter 13. We're going to look at two verses in the Gospel of John. So I want you to turn there. John chapter 13. All right, here we go. John 13. All right, look in verse 34. Watch this. Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. Well, okay. All right, so I'm, I'm, to, love, I'm to love Calvin. Okay? That's, that's the command. I'm to love Calvin and I'm to love Diana. That's the command. I'm to lo- we're to love each other. That's our... That's, that's the command. But he doesn't leave it there. Look at, look at the verse. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. How? As I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now look at me. That shifts gears on us, my friend. That takes it to an entirely n- another level than, than just what meets us in that first part of the verse. All right, go with me to John chapter 15. Flip over a couple of chapters, John 15. Jesus is going to repeat. He's trying to get us to get it. Okay? So in verse number, uh, number, chapter 15, verse number 12, Jesus said, This is my commandment, that ye love one another. Watch this. How? As I have loved you. And so here's here's the difficult part. The difficult part is that Jesus wants me to love you, and He wants you to love me, and He wants us to love each other in the same exact way that He loved us. And so that raises the bar. That, 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 adds, that adds a different level to love. Don't just love one another like you think we should love one another, or like you're comfortable with loving other people. Don't just, don't just go as far as you think you should go. Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love other people. I want you to love your brothers and sisters in Christ the same way that I loved you. You ought to think about that. Well, preacher, can we do that? Ah, here again, we've got a lifetime assignment. It ain't easy. It's not a quick fix. And so I have to constantly be checking out, am I loving them like Jesus loved me? Is that how, is that how I'm exhibiting and expressing my love in the same way? You know, that'll, do, that'll, that'll help you forgive your brothers quicker, your sisters quicker. See, Jesus forgave us and wiped the slate clean, but we want to linger 
We want to linger with unforgiveness and wrongs that have been done us. But Jesus said, I want to tell you how exactly how I want you to love other people. I want you to love them in the same way that I loved you. And let me tell you what that is. That's a spoken love. So you ought to be, if you're going to love like Jesus loved, you've got to be expressing it because he did. Number two, that's a secure love. That means simply this, that that, 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 that that love you have for people ought not be at risk. You either do what I ask you to do and what I tell you to do, you either please me, you either meet my expectations of you, or I'm done. No, 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 no. No, no, listen. Look, if we are to love like Jesus loved, there has to be eternal security in our love. That means I'm not done loving you. Well, you disappointed me, okay? Well, I'm still not done loving you. I want to still love you. In spite of our differences, in spite of our wrongs, we not, might not be able to hobnob together. It might not work personality-wise, but I'm still, going, I'm still going to love you. Not only that, but it's a sacrificial love, okay? We sacrifice for each other. We're willing to give up and give in and let go of the things that we think are our rights simply because we're willing to love other people like Jesus loved us, okay? Now, look at the crowd he's talking to, okay? I mean, there, there's, a, there's a mixture of people here. We don't all see eye to eye on everything, okay? We don't all see eye to eye on everything. But, but we still are to love each other. He's talking to zealots, political zealots, tax collectors. He's, he's talking to... Uh, uh, impestuous people. He's talking to hotheads, the sons of thunder. He's talking to ambitious people. He's talking to doubters. And yet, it indicates that if we are to love each other as He loves us, we must do it in spite of some things. Okay. He didn't love Peter because Peter rebuked him and said, not so, Lord. He loved Peter in spite of that. He didn't love the sons of thunder because they were ready to call fire down from heaven. He loved them in spite of that. He didn't love Thomas because Thomas was a doubter. He loved Thomas in spite of his doubting. And so we have to learn to love each other as Jesus loved us in spite of those things. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever met somebody that professed to be saved and yet they were void of love. Have you ever had somebody that said, I'm saved, but, but you couldn't call a team of bloodhounds out and find a smidgling of love in them whatsoever. They professed Christ, <clears throat> but they were unloving, abrasive, judgmental people. You ever met somebody like that? Let me read a verse of Scripture to you that really is stunning when you read it and let it have its full meaning in your life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9. Watch this. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. Paul said, I'm not going to, I'm, look, I'm not even going to write to you on this subject. You don't need me to write about this subject. I'm not going to waste time writing you about this subject. Well, why? He says, For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. 
Wow, that's pretty, that's pretty hard hitting if you, if you think about it. Paul said, look, if you're saved, God himself within you teaches you to love one another. Wow, because the fruit of the Spirit is love. So these people that walk around blasting everybody in sight, abusing them spiritually, and yet claiming to be saved, I want to just tell you, there, there, there may be some problematic things in that. Because if you're saved, why don't you know how to love? Why can't you find love in your heart? Because God Himself teaches His children to love one another. You don't have to have a class on that. I don't have to sit here and read the 13 times where the Bible says love one another. We don't have to have a class in the back and say, all right, everybody that doesn't know how to love and can't feel love and doesn't know how to offer love, I want you to meet back there because for the next 13 weeks, we're going to teach you how to love one another. We don't have to have a class on loving one another that's given to us by God. And I think it would do well to enter pulpits. I think it'd be really good sometimes for, for pastors and people to wake up and realize they're missing a lesson somewhere down the line. I don't know. They're missing a lesson that God wants to teach them within, and that's, that's to love one another. It's very, very important that we do that. Now, number three, we're to love our neighbor, okay? We're to love our neighbor, Look with me in Mark 12 again. Go, go to Mark 12. So he gives, he gives the first commandment, and that is to love who? God. Then in the next verse, he's going to show us the second commandment. All right? Verse 31. Mark 12, 31. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Now, if you will do a word study on the word neighbor, this is what neighbor means. Are you ready? Neighbor means anybody that you're near at the moment. Okay? Anybody that you're near at the moment. And, and so it's important. We may be in different situations in different places at different points in life, and our path crosses with somebody, well, at that moment, guess who they are? They're our neighbor. And so we're to love our neighbor. Wait a minute. Your neighbor may be a total stranger. Your neighbor may live next door to you. I was cutting up with the kids the other day, and I said something about, uh, you're my neighbor, I love you, buddy. And John Quincy said, I'm not your neighbor. I don't live next to you. And then he named their neighbors for me. So that's pretty good. We get in our idea of the guy that lives next door. No, it's the guy that is standing next door in the store at the soccer game. Okay? Wherever you may be, where whoever's path your path crosses, at that moment you become neighbors, and God will give you a divine appointment so that you can at that moment love your neighbor as thyself. Well, now, that's interesting, isn't it? Now, wait a minute. 
I, I, that is the, one of the most misquoted verses in all the Bible. Because somebody said, well, you know, the Bible teaches that we're to love ourselves, And so, no, 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 that's not what that's saying. What it is saying there is you ought to treat other people in a manner in which you'd like to be treated. That's not God saying, hey, live a life of selfies. Okay? So that's, that's, not God, that's not God condoning a life of selfies. Okay? That's God saying, listen, you love other people. Think about how you'd like to be treated in that situation. Would you like to be forgiven? Then forgive. Would you like grace? Then show grace. Would you like help? then give help. Would you like encouragement in their situation? If you were in their situation, would you like somebody to encourage you, then encourage them? Would you want somebody to pray for you, then pray for them? Love them in a manner that you would want thyself to be loved if you were in their situation. That's what it's talking about, okay? God's not... God's not God's not promoting self-love there. God doesn't promote self-anything. And so we're to love our neighbor. In Luke chapter 10, this is fascinating, a lawyer, by the way, we think of a lawyer like, dude, he's, you know, he's going to defend me or try to destroy me in court. That's not what, this is a lawyer of the law. This is a priest. This is somebody who was expert in the law's of Israel. And so a lawyer, knowing the Bible in his own mind, he thinks, he's going to try to trip Jesus, okay? Oh, when I read those, these type things, I think, dude, really? So he comes up to Jesus, you know, he's all puffed up, he's got, he's got his degrees behind his name, he knows what he's doing. And so he comes up to Jesus, and he says to Jesus in verse 29 of Luke chapter 10, um, I got a question for you. Okay, what is it? If I'm to love my neighbor, exactly who is my neighbor? Whoa. You can hear, you can just hear the oohs and ahs of the crowd as this intellectual giant throws his questions at Jesus. And with bated breath, they're waiting to see if Jesus could answer this peon's question. And so Jesus then goes into the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he talks about the priest and the Levite that passed the man by that had been robbed, mugged, and left for dead. And, and the, only person, the only person that helped the injured man was a Samaritan who was a social, religious, racial outcast. Isn't that amazing? Oh, no, no, the, no. No, the guys you admired, the guys that you put on a pedestal, they walked by and left him in his same condition. The guy that you hate, the guy that you, that you mock, the guy that you have prejudice against, he's the only one that helped out the injured man. So after telling that parable, now Jesus has got a question. Okay? So Jesus looks back at the man in verse 36, and he says, Now, which of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? You want to talk about great scripture? In your Bible, you ought to write this word, awesome. That's just awesome. Because you know what Jesus did? 
Here's the man's question. Here's the man's question. Who is my neighbor? You know what Jesus said? No, here's the real question. Who are you neighbor to? Who, who are you neighbor to? And you see, that's, that's the question. The question is, well, well, who's my neighbor? Who can I help? No, no. The, the, the reality of the matter is, who are you being neighbor to? That, what does that tell us? That tells us we ought to be like the Samaritan on the look for hurting people. The question isn't, who's my neighbor? The question is better, who am I being a neighbor to? Anybody that crosses my path is my neighbor. And most of those crossings aren't by happen chance. They're by God's divine design and appointment. Can God trust you to love your neighbor just like he loves you? That's a huge question. We ought to contemplate that. Number four, number four, we're to love our enemy. Well, wait a minute, preacher. Come on. I mean, it was, it was okay up until now. But really? I mean, this, look, come on. Listen, this is, this is the harder part of the Bible. I'm to love who? God. Well, okay. I struggle with that because I'm selfish, but I'm working on it. You can love your neighbor or, or, or one another. Okay, well, we go to church together. Which I'm struggling, but I'm working. You love your neighbor. Okay. But wait a minute, dude. Love your enemy? I'm to love my enemy? I'm actually to love someone that doesn't love me in return? What, is, what good does that do for me? Hold it. I'm to love people that hate me? That curse me? that despitefully use me, I'm to love those type of people? See what that does. Listen to me. Look at me. No, that's supernatural. You don't get born with that. You don't get born with that. You know what you get born with? Picking up the toy and hitting your brother over the head with it. I, that mine was not, it was a gun. But anyhow, toy gun. But anyhow, that, that look, it's, it's the, here's, here's what we're born with. I don't get mad. I get even. Here's what we're born with. One good fist is worth a thousand words. That's the law of the flesh. That's how we live our life. Matthew 5, verse 43. Go, go there. Go to Matthew 5. Let's look there. Matthew 5, verse 43. Watch this. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemy. Now watch this. Take these two statements together. Ye have heard that it hath been said, but I say unto you. What's he doing there? He's unlearning people. Okay? Look at it. Here's what you've heard, but now let me tell you what I say. You, this is what you're thinking because this is how you've been trained. This is, this is how you've been taught. You have heard that it hath been said, but I, the living word, I say unto you. So what he's doing is he's unlearning these people, things, preconceived ideas that they've already come into the conversation bearing. Watch this. And by the way, sometimes we have to unlearn, don't we? You ever been there where you thought something? I heard a guy say one time to me, 
in the ministry. He said, for 38 years, I've never chained, changed one thing I believe. Dude, when did you stop reading your Bible? That's the saddest statement I think I've ever heard. So what that means is for 38 years, you've never grown. Because you can't grow without change. I'm not talking about unbelieving the, the doctrines of the Word of God. I'm talking about the fact that God wants to change us. Are you kidding me? When I was 19 years old, 17 when I surrendered to preach, that, that I had it all together at 17, not on your life. Okay? And there's some messages probably I wish I could go back and undo. My pastor told me the story when he was young in the ministry. He preached on girding up your lions. Some of you have heard me tell this story before. But he said, man, he had the lion of unbelief, the lion of wicked. He said he had lions coming all over that message. And he said he went to the back so thinking, boy, I really nailed that one. And he said uh, an elderly lady in the church walked by and took his hand. And she said, Cecil, the word is loins, not lions. He got the O and the I mixed up. And he said in one sentence, she ruined one of my best messages. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You remember when Y2K was coming? You can get Y2K tapes and books now for a, They'll pay you to take them. I mean, there was such extravagant wildness going on about everything that was going to happen. And, and, uh, and, and yet the reality of the matter is, uh, yeah, sometimes we have to unlearn. So he says there, um, you've heard that it hath been said, verse 43, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Watch verse 46. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? You know what he's saying? Loving people that love you, that's, that's, what, that's what the puffed up pharisaical publican uh, cult is built out of. Sure, you're going to love somebody that loves you in return. That's no big deal. And it's the toughest assignment. And if there's ever a risk, the risk is in loving people who are enemies. And by the way, we don't love because it's the safe thing to do. We're supposed to love because it's the right thing to do. And, 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 and sometimes, sometimes our enemy works in the building with us where we labor for five days a week. Sometimes our enemy lives next door. Sometimes our enemy parents our children with us. Our relationship is gone, but we have kids. we got to deal together. And men, listen to me. Life, life gets difficult when you have to work with your enemy. Okay? And they're lashing out and cheating you. Listen to this statement. It's interesting that Jesus tells us to love our, in, our, to love our neighbors and yet also tells us to love our enemies also. Sometimes that's the same person. Now watch this. I'm pretty sure the differences I have with my neighbor are not bigger than the gap between the holiness of God and me. Ouch. Jesus overcame that gap by His grace and the same grace that carries us toward 
our neighbors. Neighboring gains traction when we live with the mentality we will not hold against others any more than God chose to hold against us. I wish you could see your face now. Let me read that again because I know you missed it. Neighboring gains traction. When we live with the mentality, we will not hold against others any more than God chose to not hold against us. Buddy, that ought to wipe the slate clean almost on every account. In fact, I can't think of any account it wouldn't. You ever met somebody that carried an up-to-date mental list of names of enemies, of the moment they were wronged, of all of the wrongs that were committed against them, and they could recite the day and the hour and every detail of the offense that was committed. You ever met somebody like that? They just walk around with a little black book right up here, and they got it all figured out. I heard the story of a guy that was, that was walking through taking names. What's your name, sir? Took his name down. Went over to another guy. What's your name? It's a little Irish guy. Just a little Irish guy, man. Wasn't, wasn't, wasn't you know, bigger than, than, than a kid. And he's, but he's walking around taking names. Goes four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven guys taking names on a job there. Construction. Finally comes to this big guy. And he says, what's your name? The guy says, what do you want my name for? He said, I'm making a list of people I'm going to whip. You're making a list of people you're going to whip? So he grabs the guy, snatches him up. And threatens him, and the guy said, I'll just take your name right off the list. Just marked it right out. Changed his mind. Well, the reality of the matter is, you know what you need to do? You need to mark some names off your list. You need to erase it. You need to get rid of it. Because, because every name that's on that list, listen to me, every name on your list is a failure in your life. A failure for what, preacher? A failure to forgive. And, and here's the reality. Listen to me. Listen. Love your enemy. You will never love your enemies until you find the grace to forgive them. Can't do it. You can't love and harbor ill feelings. You will never fulfill that verse when you love your enemy. No matter who they are, no matter where they live, no matter what they've done, you'll never love them until you first learn to forgive them. Now, I'm going to close. Three minutes and I'm done. Because I want to talk with you for just briefly on the subject of love within the church. Because this, this is important. Do you know that churches have personalities? Do you know that? Churches have personalities? And by the way, listen, people with that personality will attend that church. They gravitate to churches with their personality. Now there are times you get into church and find out that's not my personality, that's not who I am, and they leave. But the reality of the matter is, is they, that, that those churches attract people with the same slant. Now most of the time that slant is based on love and truth, which are both very good. But I go to a church because it preaches truth, or I go to a church because it exhibits love. One of those two reasons. Talk with people. That, we preach truth. Talk to people. We're a loving church. Those are the two words that are most 
used and most given. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and yet the Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus talked about Him and said that He called Him the Spirit of truth. So in reality, it's not either or, it's both. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth, wants to produce the fruit in us that, that part of that fruit, first characteristic, first up to the plate, batting lead off, is love. He wants to bring balance. He wants us to both have truth and both have love. Now listen carefully, I'm going to close, but listen carefully to me. In the absence of love, a church becomes manipulative. You can sign my name on that. In fact, I'll autograph it later. That statement is true. If you take love out of a church, the church becomes manipulative and seeks to dictate people's lives and how they live and what they do. And the, and the spirit of the church is one of manipulation. If a church, if a church uh, has an absence of truth, it becomes shallow. So you've got manipulated, man, manipulative churches and shallow churches, and what God wants to produce in every church is a spirit of truth and a spirit of love. It's vitally important. We should never, we should never sacrifice one for the benefit of the other because they're mutually dependent upon each other. Love must never, love must never, never withhold truth from somebody. And truth must always be delivered in love. The greatest vehicle to deliver truth to somebody is love. If I don't love you, you're probably not going. Look, I taught high school history. Um, world history, U.S. history, world geography, and Bible, and American government for, for a number of years. I taught, I taught in the Christian school along with pastoring for, for, for over 20 years, and I had students from all different walks of life. You know the one thing, I'll tell you the one lesson I learned above all other lessons is that's simply this. If you will love somebody, they'll listen. You just love them. They may not agree with you, but they'll listen to you. And I found out with my students, if I just showed them that I loved them and I cared for them, I could, I could say almost anything to them. And they would take it because they knew that it was delivered to them from a heart of love. And so we are, let's don't walk around and say, glory to God, we preach the truth. No, let's walk around and say, glory to God, we preach the truth in love. Let's don't take the Bible and beat people's brains out with it. Let's take the Bible and build people's lives with it. Let's, let's, let's reach them with love so that they will receive our truth. That's why Paul wrote the church at Ephesus in chapter 4, verse 15, and said, Speaking the truth in love may grow up in him in all things, which is the head even in Christ. And then 2 John, listen to this. 2 John, verse 3, listen. Um, Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Boy, that's, that's so important. I want our church, I want our church to never even hesitate on standing for and speaking truth. But I want it to always be done in love. When people walk through that door, I want them to know one thing. You're loved here. I don't care what's happened to you. 
You may come bruised and battered. Your life may be in shambles. You may have had a bunch of bad experiences in your past and very, very uh, 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 carefully tiptoed into church today, wondering what you're going to get. Well, I'll tell you what they ought to get. They ought to get an outstretched hand and a heart full of love. We ought to love people from where they are to wherever God wants to bring them. That's what happened to me. Sixteen years old, I stepped into a youth department, and I looked across the room, and all I saw was arms and legs coming at me. And it was Ray Turner, who God used to change my life. Do you know why? Because he met me that day and made me feel like he loved me. And he did. And he loves me to this day, and I love him. And I'm grateful that I went to a church that took a kid, wasn't in trouble, wasn't in drugs, wasn't in a mess. I was just, I had no direction. And God used somebody's love to give me direction in my life. Well, let's bow our heads. One of the slices, if you open up, and that's what, that's what God does for us. He opens up the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the slices of that fruit is love. And we got eight more. But boy, I'm going to tell you, none of the rest will matter if we miss this one. Boy, God wants to make me a loving person. And you know how He wants me to to love people just exactly like he loved me. Boy, that helps me overlook flaws and failures. And Man. It helps me show grace. It helps me get over our differences. He just wants me to love like he loved me. How are you doing with that? Loving God, loving one another, loving your neighbor, whoever you're near at the moment. Wait a minute. Loving your enemy. See, if we'll do those things, when, when people come to South Valley, they will experience love. Father, thank you for your love for us and Thank you for your word that gives us the guidance, that tells us what our expectations are from you, the things that you want us to be, the, the person, the people, the church, the family. And Lord, I thank you that, that you don't give us things to do that you don't enable us to do. And so though we can grow, we can love others like you loved us if we'll just make the effort. Help us to do just that, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen.